Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. We've a special soap treat for you now as we mark 25 years of Hollyoaks. It's birthday month for the teen serial which first burst onto our screens, the brainchild of Phil Redmond, in October 1995. One of the original cast was Yasmin Bannerman who played Maddie Parker. Ashley's been chatting to Yasmin about what it was like to be making soap history. Enjoy. So we're talking... You know, twenty-five years ago now. What was your what's your earliest memories of um uh your character's situation at that time when it first started? So if I remember rightly, um my parents had a very swish Gigi shop in Chester at the very beginning when we were filming. And then um shortly after that we had this uh, very nice pub. And I, I can't remember, it's been so long ago, I can't remember whether they were meant to have both places, but I'm sure one was, um, yeah, a really nice shop. Was it a fabric shop? Oh gosh, it's so, it's so long ago. We didn't film in it for very long. I think I might have only filmed in it once, but it was right at the very, very beginning. And that was in Chester, was it? That was in Chester, yes. Of course, it was all meant to be in Chester, wasn't it? But a lot of it, of course, was, was filmed in Liverpool. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which, which is a, a, a very common thing to do with television, where, um, you know, this is where it's meant to be set and they might take some exterior shots of the area, but then you record all your scenes in a completely different place or in a studio. So what do you remember of, of your audition? Well, I think it was very early on in my career. I hadn't long left drama school and um, it was just one of many auditions that I got sent to. And I kind of vaguely remember my agent telling me that it was a new um, kind of teen sort of soap opera, young person's soap, and it would be filming in Liverpool. And um, yeah, I, I can, um, I don't remember much about the background, but I do remember that or that first audition. Um, and um, I do remember then being told we have to go up to Liverpool, do this sort of big, this grand casting. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember thinking, oh, that's something different or that's something special. It was just one of many auditions that, um, that, that I went to. Um, it was just that I wasn't used to um, travelling for them. And, and were you aware at that time, right at the beginning, of Phil Redmond and, and his work? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Very much aware. And um, I was a massive fan of Grange Hill and a, an equally massive fan of Brookside. So, um, so yeah, so we were quite, you know, it was quite exciting um and um yeah yeah we we were all very well aware of um yeah of the stable that we were entering yeah and and was phil there right at the beginning was he was he there to uh take you through things um yes he was there he was there yes absolutely and he had heard us um read for all of our parts and he was very much hands-on yeah he absolutely cast it. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about the audition process, because I gather uh, from other people I've spoken to that it was uh, it was quite complex. Um, I think that we actually read. We went in. There were lots of other um, 
for the auditions that I usually went to, I didn't see other actors, rarely. Um, or you might be coupled with someone to read a scene, but I, I wasn't used to um, seeing other actors. It's not like when you watch, I don't know, The X Factor, those kinds of things. I'm, I'm saying The X Factor, is, I don't watch it, so I, I don't really know how it goes. But these things that you watch on television where these tons and tons of people all queued up around the corner, um, uh that's not the kind of casting that I'm ever that I'd ever been used to. You kind of go in, and you know, you, you have there's a casting director, and you meet them, and then you meet whoever's auditioning you, who's going to hear, hear you read. You don't see a lot of people that may be sitting outside before you go into the audition, but it's you know, it's very, it's a, it's a, quite a, a, a small thing. Um, and this was um, this is the only audition that I'd ever been to where I saw many people, not lined up around the corner, but nevertheless many actors. And um, we were reading for different parts. So I had no clue about what, you know, a particular character I was reading for. And I don't know whether they did. I don't know whether they had just selected us with kind of a vague idea and then would just wait and see how we sounded or who we gelled with. I don't know. So, um, but I do remember that I did actually read. I don't know how many people I read for, but I definitely did read for Maddie. Now, the thing was, Maddie was this blonde girl and um, a little bit ditzy, if I remember rightly. I, I think so. Um, uh, so I didn't read it thinking, oh, this is the part I'm being considered for. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was very interesting. Um, and I remember Nick Picard was definitely, I definitely remember him. And I think, I think I saw Lisa, but I can't, I don't know whether I've made that up in my own head and I actually saw her um, a little bit later. Um, but yeah, it was quite interesting sort of remembering the different people who ended up getting the different roles. Um, and Sheba, Sheba was definitely there. I saw her and quite early on, um, it was clear which role she was being considered for, which is the one that she ended up in. So, yeah. So did, uh, you know, did Maddie evolved you think in in Phil's mind as you were doing these auditions and he was listening to uh, you performing her um did she change from what he had in mind at the very beginning do you think I think so I don't I mean the thing is I can't I I would think so yeah because um yeah Maddie didn't turn out to be very ditzy at all and the opposite um so I think yeah I think that in that whole period while Phil was there and we were reading and watching I think he was just like doing what he does and thinking hmm I could do this yeah I'll change that I think that um I think it's his way to to have a look at things and then decide which way he wants to play it I don't think things are cast in stone for him so do you think that's part of Phil's process then yeah, absolutely. I think so. But mind you, I'm speaking for him and I have no idea. But 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 the only thing that I do know is that that was a kind of a different character. And um, yeah, I think they, yeah. I mean, they were open enough, enough to have me come along to the audition. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, I, I, I think that all of that kind of changed. And, and possibly not only with my character. I don't remember all of them. But um, there were definitely some changes that, 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 that happened early on, I think. 
So what happened next? Did you get the part instantly or was it more of a long drawn out process? Yeah, so I'm trying to think now. Actually, we did the audition and then they wanted us to stay the night and do more auditioning the next day, which I hadn't done before. And um, and then we left and I think it was within a week, but even then, I'm not actually sure. And if... If memory serves me rightly, I found out a little bit earlier than everyone else. I'm trying to remember why that was. I think I had been offered another role in a theatre thing, uh, a theatre tour. So my agent had to know which way it was going because I'd run out of time and I had to say yes or no to this piece of theatre um, which I was quite keen on as well. Um, and so they very nicely said, yes, we would like to offer you the role. Um, and so, and I think that I found that out within a day or two of having done the audition. Um, yeah, I think that's right. And what do you remember about, you know, and this was the very beginning of a new soap, what do you remember about, you know, all the early promotion and the, um, the fuss about it at the time? Well, it was definitely a big, big thing. I mean, I found out quite early on that actually the character that I got cast for, I don't think she was meant to be in it for that long. I think she was originally written just to appear a little bit in the beginning and then be off. And um, uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, we didn't have a, a great deal of, um, I don't remember a great deal of detail very early on, but I do remember the advertising all kicking in. And um, I do remember that they sort of took time with us to kind of, to show us that our lives were going to be different than we may have experienced up until then. And to introduce us to the press and to talk about how you speak to the press and that sort of thing. So so fairly early on, not that I knew exactly what it was going to be like, but they were preparing us and I could see that this was something different to what, to what I'd done up to then professionally. And um, yeah, it was something very, very different. So what do you remember about the very early days, you know, your first days on set and all that kind of thing? Can you paint us a picture? I mean, do you remember much at all? Oh my goodness. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, all right? Oh, yeah. I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Hey, me, me. Yo, love, we all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We gonna have this like, bro. Me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know. We play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Don't right play now. with this. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie. Don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit seriously. No, I don't. <laughs> I've got to be honest. I don't. I don't. As I don't especially remember um, the first few days, but I do remember early times. I do remember sort of them showing us our costumes and them, um, yeah, just talking to us about like the things like 
funny things like having to change your age <laughs> which I really wasn't familiar with you know the, the the age that you you're to say you are which is not always the age that you are and 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 funny things like that and um and being introduced to um yeah and um the studios themselves Mersey Studios with the holly with the um with the Brookside cast milling around and being in makeup with them. And um, yeah, the kind of the early rehearsals and uh, yeah, and working on set. I do, I do remember not the very first time, but I do remember those things um, and just how extraordinary it all was. And we're all very young and kind of college age or just having left college or, you know, um, and so it was, there was always that kind of atmosphere about it. It was kind of like, for me, it was kind of like going to college, but getting paid for it. <laughs> there was a lot of fun about all of it. It was kind of fresh and new and different. Yeah, I mean, it must have been really exciting. It was also, you know, quite nerve wracking as well. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And and as I said, because we were all so young and, and I mean, some Paul Lation. Oh, my goodness. How old was Paul? 15, 16? I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I'm speculating here. I don't remember. But he was very young. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think for all of us, it was, yeah, it was a bit of a marvellous adventure. It was kind of fun and, yeah, and new. And we were up for it. We were up for the challenge. And... We were all in the same boat at the same time. I, don't, I think it can be quite different when, although some of us had, had worked, had done quite a bit of work before, but I, I think it's kind of different to other jobs that I'd been to where you had certain characters who've been in the show for a long time or who were very, very seasoned. Um, and that creates a different sort of atmosphere. But, um, and... There were no egos or any of that going on because we're all, yeah, we're all, we're all jumping in together. And um, I think it made, I think it made for a very special atmosphere, actually. And I think it's probably not surprising that um, I made lifelong friends there um, that I talk to kind of almost every day now. Now, this was groundbreaking at the time, of course. It was a, a teen soap, the first sort of teen soap we'd had in a way. Um, were you aware of that at the beginning? I mean, were you told that that's who um, Channel Four and Phil were targeting? Uh, yeah, I mean, at the time, I hadn't even hadn't even looked at that looked at it that way, particularly um, in that. Yes, it's about young people, but who who's going to end up watching? Um, and um, yeah, I think that I think that Phil must have had it in mind who who um, who he was hoping um, would tune in. And yeah, it's always a little bit rusty in the beginning. Um, but I think certainly sort of from going out on the street, it, the age group that were talking to me and telling me about how much they loved the show and <laughs> how they'd watch it um, with their hangovers, um, uh, uh, hair of the dog in hand. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was it was nice. I think it, we did reach uh, the, the target audience um, that, that, that uh, they hoped we would. So... Tell us what you remember about, you know, your character evolving uh, in those very early months. Um, well, I think initially, so initially she'd been written as this 
slightly ditzy blonde girl. And uh, though I, um, and I think at the very beginning, she was more sort of the fun, kind of good time girl. No, the good time girl is probably the wrong, um, it's probably the wrong dis- description. But I think kind of fun girl, um, parents obviously have money. And I think at the, at the very beginning, all of us were meant to be, I mean, mobile phones were a new thing, <laughs> were a new edgy thing that you had if you were like cool and very middle class. Not just my character, but the show sort of changed, I think, because there was that, as, as you were saying, like we were in Chester, middle class, you know, kind of, you know, um, college kind of age school children um and then it changed because then you got to know the characters and then we had to started to have real storylines and and some depth and nuance and um I think for Maddie um early days she was part of lots of other people's stories as opposed to necessarily evolving by herself but I definitely think there was a little feisty edge coming becoming more and more pronounced in her character and then um I remember when one of her first storylines was she was being stalked and um how and and that was quite nice for me because I had something to get my teeth into because I I wasn't sure that I had a real handle on what she was supposed to be um but and later than that of course then she had that relationship with Michael Psycho Michael. <laughs> uh, and um, and I think, yeah, some of that, I think some of that was probably quite challenging. Um, just um, because she changed so much to accommodate this very possessive boyfriend um, with this very sort of dark past. And um, yeah, I, I think I, I'm trying to remember now what I did find challenging um and I think it was probably that and or when she starts to sort of lose it which was shortly before I left actually oh no um oh dear dear oh um, no this is rubbish I'm sorry Unexplored brains. Okay. I know it's not the answer. Oh, oh well, I never. I it's a bit too highbrow for me. And it's back. The distinct nostalgia mind of the month series five with the first specialist subject, the Carry On films. I can't wait. Oh, matron. Plus, we've a very special surprise involving a new role for a massive legend of soap. It's all to come this autumn and winter, only on Distinct Nostalgia. Oh, that's amazing. Thanks very much. Make sure you tell your friends about us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to The Likely Dads, a new series that looks at parenting from the paternal perspective. I'm always wary of people who plan kids. If your life's that structured, just stay away from me. We're not going to get on. <laughs> a brand new show from the team behind Distinct Nostalgia. I'm Tim Vincent and each week I'll be joined by my fellow Likely Dads, Mick Ferry and Russell Kane, as well as a series of special guests to discuss different aspects of fatherhood. When a man has an urge to have a, a child, it's not spoken about much. Women sort of own this area. <laughs> We're sort of open 
was going to be like the old films I watched where I'd just have a pipe and I'd be in a study. Just go, you're going to see your father now for ten minutes. <laughs> Hello, children, what have you been up to today? I'm not interested. All right, off to bed. <laughs> An MIM production for BBC Radio 4. We hope you'll join us and subscribe to The Likely Dads on BBC Sounds. So tell us a little bit more about how you sort of um, managed to... Um, work with with Maddie's character and, and and get into her character and you know under her skin I mean was it was it easy to do that or did you find some elements of her character sort of um alien I mean I'm talking mainly possibly to do with the the relationships she was having and things hmm. well I must admit because there, there were two things with Maddie in this boyfriend you can tell and and I'm sure the audience could tell that he wasn't going to be good news maybe fairly on because she started to change and and she started to from always being Maddie who's kind of quite who's very sort of I don't know she's kind of bright and effervescent and feisty and you know sassy and she started to down play herself a lot she started to make herself a bit meek she started to dress very differently um to keep him happy and um that was something that was completely alien to me in terms of I'd never had that experience before even close but what I did have were a wealth of people who had had that experience some of them um with friends of theirs um, some of them who had gone through it themselves in the past. And so I drew upon other people's stories for that bit, I must say. Um, and also, and, and, and this ditto for just be, for being, um, for being so dominated by somebody and, and perhaps even a little bit afraid of them that, that I did, um, f- fortunately for me, there were people who were sort of willing to go there and just discuss it with me and to, to tell me a bit more about that. Um, so yeah, I was able to draw on that. Um, for the stalking thing, unfortunately, I had first-hand experience of that. Um, so I was able to you know, I was able to draw on that, on that fear, and yeah, yeah. Now, this was massive, wasn't it? You really were being thrown at the deep ends. You know, none of you were well-known and famous. You not, uh, you know, you, you weren't household names or anything, but suddenly you were household names. I mean, that must have been daunting. Yeah, so true, so true. And you're really aware of it when you're... Um, when you step into something so new like this, if you've never sort of been in television before, and I mean, many of us had done some television before, but maybe we'd done a few episodes of something or whatever, but sort of being almost on the front the front lines in that way, being a, sort of a main character, um, the, the way the, the public responds to you is, is also something you have to adjust to massively. And other people's adjust, other, some people adjust to it so much better than us I mean so much easier than others um and if you're a very shy private person like myself um yeah it's not always the it's not always the best part of the job um and and you are aware also then of even things like when you're signing letters to 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 fans because you get that you get fan mail um about being very careful because you don't want to get stalked and you don't know who's writing to you ever 
Um, so being aware of things like that, that was a new adjustment that we all had to make. And certainly myself. And of course, people become very attached to characters very, very quickly, don't they? And they respond to them as well. If something's really popular, they'll respond in the street and all the rest of it. So, you know, the type of character that you're playing um, is is quite important, really. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's when you really want to be playing a very nice character <laughs> so that people respond to you positively. Because, oh, my goodness, when you're playing someone who's a <laughs> who's a gold digger or has an affair with one of the leading characters or something like that. Oh, my goodness, you're not popular. It's not funny. But um, but yeah, but Maddie was always really well was actually one thing that I did learn from early on and um, something I didn't know that happened um, in ever happened in sort of soap operas or, you know, whatever program is on um, is that sometimes at least um, they will take a little poll and find out how characters are being received. And um, this is something they did early day, probably because they're testing the waters and it's something totally new. And um, one thing that I was told and did find out um, early days when Maddie had very, very few lines and was, wasn't in it. I wasn't at the beginning. I wasn't in every episode. In fact, I'd have weeks off where I'd just be in London in between. Um, because obviously the character had been written, as I'd said before, um, not as a proper sort of permanent character. Um, so I had a lot of, um, time when I just wasn't there and didn't really, and almost felt like I wasn't sort of part of it. Now you were, uh, a black actress in a, a new soap, uh, a teen soap, and um, there weren't actually that many black actors um, on TV at the time. How, you know, was that something that posed um, issues for you? I mean, was it all a positive experience or, or did you get, you know, feedback that you didn't really, you know, wasn't really welcome? Yes, yeah, yeah. I do remember getting flack early days. Um, someone said I was, um, I think it was in a, a paper um, um, which is aimed at the kind of the, um, African West Indian community and it had said that I was like a to the token black in the programme. And I remember um, being quite upset by this because um, I wasn't, the character wasn't even, wasn't written as a token black character. She wasn't even meant to be black. Phil Redmond had just decided, oh, yeah, we'll have her and we'll build up this character, you know. And um, of course, I nobody got to know or hear that bit. But that was quite, I remember finding that quite un, unsettling. I'd never sort of had that because you get all sorts of attention leveled at you that you're not used to um, when you enter into something like this. And it was, I remember that was quite, you know, I mean, it didn't ruin things for me. It wasn't like, it didn't keep me awake at night. But I remember thinking, gosh, that's really unfair because that's actually not true. Not true at all. Uh, of course, you you know, you were following in the footsteps of um, other black characters that come along in some soaps and there hadn't been many. I mean, you know, I've recently interviewed Paul J. Medford who played, of course, Kelvin in EastEnders. You remember, remember him back in the, uh, the mid-80s? Yes, very much. Calvin and Sharon, all oh, the little gang, they were so, oh, I loved them, yeah. So, you know, you were one of the few black actors, black characters on, on TV. Were you aware of the responsibility that you got to sort of, you know, be a role model and, uh, you know, play that character in a, in a particular way? Yeah. You know, was, it, was it something 
in which you you realize that you know in, in a way you were breaking fresh ground really yeah yeah I was aware of it yeah absolutely I mean things were so different back then and you know there weren't a lot of those roles not at all so I was very happy to have my role, thank you very much, <laughs> and didn't want to hear about being a toad, especially when I knew what I knew. Um, but yeah, I was very much aware of it. I was very much aware of it, yeah. So you did feel some pressure then? Well, do you know what? I think it would have felt more of a pressure if I'd had a character that I felt represented my colour badly. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but it was very easy because she's this affluent middle-class aspirational character and she's um she defies the stereotypes so it was very easy for me to play maddie and to be very happy with you know with how they'd written her and how they were writing her and how how they were writing her and they'd even i mean they'd taken out the ditzy for me you know i didn't even have to play that original character they just decided to go a completely different way so i was i was delighted so tell us a little bit about, um, you know, Offset, you know, uh, how you all got together and, you know, wh- where you lived and all that kind of thing. What was it like in the, in the very early years sort of settling into uh, uh, Liverpool? Oh, my goodness. It was lovely. I, ha- I shared a house. I mean, in the beginning, we were all in hotels and um, which I loved. <laughs> I must say, I did enjoy being in a hotel. It just made life so much easier. Um, but then after... After time goes on, you start to, when you start to crave having something like just a home cooked meal, um, and, and, and not having to go out to a restaurant or order room service. Um, you know, I do, I do sort of remember, um, enjoying when we finally all just moved into houses with each other. Um, and I lived with um, three other girls. I lived with Terry Dwyer. I lived with Kerry. Um, and I lived with Julie. And uh, um, we had such a happy house. And the boys um, were living, some of the boys were living very near to us, I think in the same sort of little sort of cul-de-sac area. And um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was just like a funny little it was almost like for me it was like student life with money <laughs> that's what it felt like we had a lot of fun it was it was a lot of fun we were a friendly team and it was really nice because we'd have people come on you know um you have people come on set extras who were just doing that day or just going to do the backgrounds for that particular episode and they'd get invited to come over to the boys' house and just chill with them. And, you know, it was just, it was just really, really friendly. And, um, and I remember actually that after Hollyoaks, um, when I went to work on lots of other different programs, kind of, you know, jobbing act a bit, you know, you do an episode of this or a season of that or whatever. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that was something really special because that's not something that you see all the time. In fact, it's something that you rarely see. This kind of like happy family of just like, oh, just gorgeous, lovely people who were just fun and down to earth. No egos. It was, it's, it's a rare and beautiful thing. So tell us a little bit about uh, being in Liverpool then. Uh, you know, did, did, you, did you go out quite a lot? Was it, was it good fun? When we went out and about, when I go shopping in Liverpool, people were lovely. They were always lovely. 
I must admit, I did very much enjoy living in Liverpool. I, I did. I wasn't familiar with Liverpool, hadn't, you know, ever been there. But I, I really enjoyed living in Liverpool. I think it's a very friendly city. Of course, everywhere. I, You know, I'm from London. But, you know, there are rougher, tough areas and, and not so. But I think the people are lovely. I love their musical accent. I just love how friendly and down to earth people were. And um, I had a great time there. I must admit, I had a great time there. So you got a warm welcome then in Liverpool? Absolutely. Yeah, people lovely. Uh, and of course, when you arrived, Brookside was still going on, but it wasn't long before, well, wasn't really that long afterwards, a few years or whatever, that uh, Brookside sort of was wound down and, and finished, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I mean, when we first started, it didn't feel like it was just about to finish. It certainly seemed to be, well, from... From an outsider's point of view, I don't know what was going on internally or whether they were thinking, oh, we're winding it down now. But I didn't get that impression. But very soon afterwards, it's, it was clearly winding down. So, I mean, you had some pretty big storylines in the time that you were there. And uh, uh, one of them involved um, Maddie being taken hostage, didn't it? Yes, yes, it was Jude. It was Maddie and Jude. It was, yeah, I think it's Maddie and Jude who end up getting taken hostage. That was one of the big storylines. And I remember we filmed part of it in Wales. I can't remember what part it was, um, but we filmed for a few days in Wales. And oh, my goodness, it's just so beautiful. Just I just remember gorgeous crystal lakes and uh, autumnal colours and just oh, just breathtaking landscapes. And I remember um, a particularly beautiful sort of manor house that we were um we were filming in um and it was it was a lovely time because we're we're used to filming in the same sort of area in Liverpool and so 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 to go off grid was a bit of an adventure it was um I remember it being fun I remember it being very enjoyable very tiring but very enjoyable and um and it was lovely because um I was uh um the the my, my psycho boyfriend um who um who I call Tom Simon um is uh, uh he was was a lovely friend of mine and um it was very nice to work with him again because as the storyline had gone he left at some point they split up so I wasn't expecting this additional bit to happen this whole adventure it was I, I can remember a scene where I'm saying goodbye to him in um in my cafe um where I'm saying it's over um, and we thought that was over, us as the actors. So this additional bit was a lovely surprise. It was, it was so nice to be working with each other again and to have this juicy storyline to play. So, um, yeah, I can remember having a lot of fun with that. Three men, one sketch show, not enough time. What are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm just recording our new promo for Distinct Comedy. What's with the voice? I, I, you know, I just wanted to make it all big and exciting, build up the tension. Build the tension for what? For listening. It's a sketch show, not a blockbuster film. You just need to say something like, Hey, we're the imaginary people. Listen to our sketch show on distinct comedy. You might like it, if you're into that kind of thing. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all right, actually. Oh, well, you better be quick before the time runs out. The imaginary people. Every Monday on Distinct Comedy. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and at distinctnostalgia.com. 
If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. So, so all this, uh, all this action and uh, an intrigue was it? Was it fun to play? <laughs> oh my goodness! Do you know what? I I did enjoy it. Storylines are wonderful. Having a, having a, even if it's you know being stalked by your psycho boyfriend, you get all these really dramatic scenes, and I love the drama. Bring on the drama! It's it, it's great. So, how did you actually feel about leaving Hollyoaks? <sighs> oh, do you know what? Actually, um, it was, I was, yeah, I was then uh, 27 and um, was pregnant with my first child. Yeah, myself and my husband. Um, And then, so I told them and they felt... (sighs) there probably wasn't anywhere that they would want to take the character with me being pregnant. So it must have been, uh, although you you know, you know weren't it for massively long, you, didn't, you were in it intensively for a short period of time and obviously got to know all these people um, who were all in at, some, in, in at something at the beginning. You know, how much of a, a wrench was it once you did leave? Um, you know, how, what impact did it have? You know, we, did you feel... Um, you feel sad and lonely for a bit or did you manage to sort of get into your your new life in a you know reasonably easy way um I would have liked to have stayed however I didn't I I knew that I would want to leave definitely by the time my child was born I didn't want to be in Liverpool with a nanny somewhere and my baby. So I knew I was going to go. I just didn't know when. And they decided to do it before I started to show rather than, you know, hiding me behind things. Um, so, um, so yeah, so it was a bit early and it was hard to go because it's a, it's your family. Um, for me, um, whilst it was hard, I still continue to see everybody because even though, you know, everyone comes down to London quite a lot and Nick had his bar, the chilled ex-Eskimo. So even afterwards, I can still remember I was with the whole gang, well, with uh, many of the gang, the day before I gave birth. Literally, we were all out together and I remember feeling, suddenly feeling a bit weepy because it's like my due date was you know, the next day. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to actually give birth on my due date. But um, um, I remember sitting with them and chatting and it was just like, wow, everything's going to change. It's going to be so different. I'm going to be so grown up. I'm going to have a baby. Um, and, um, and yeah, and I did. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was hard to leave, but you do have to leave at some point. Um, and and they gave me a storyline to go out on, you know, as well. Bless her. She she went a bit doolally at the end, which I wasn't keen on. I remember at the time she got really paranoid, but it was kind of I think they what they they had it almost as if it was a bit of um, a post-traumatic stress disorder after the whole Michael thing. I think I stopped watching it. I think the last episode I watched, I said I would watch it until Lisa's character died. And um, and I think that was I remember her her death. I think she's in a boat with Jambo, and I think after that I didn't watch it anymore. I mean I'd see the guys, but I just didn't follow the show anymore. So when you look back after twenty five years, um, where does Hollyoaks sit in your career in your life? Where where is it? How important was it? Do you think? Mm, I think that. Oh gosh, that's a hard one, because my. What I'm always grateful to Hollyoaks for is my friendships, which have been lifelong friendships. And um, that is that's where my eternal gratitude is, because, oh, my goodness, the friends that I have from Hollyoaks, the, the ones that I'm, I'm, I'm in touch with. I mean, I've, I've, I've done I've done life with them. I've done the ups and I've done the downs you do the deaths and the miscarriages and you do the the stuff of life together and um for a program to to meet one friend on a job is amazing but oh my goodness i have several i'm just i'm so blessed for that i i will always be so grateful to that show for that um it taught me what how to be professional but, you know, in a, in a TV setup, I didn't train for that. I trained in theatre. I just didn't know how you do things. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that it's just I always look back at it as a, a special time, just a really special time in my life and a fun time in my life. And and for me, because, um, I mean, we had to cheat our ages for <laughs> we had to cheat our ages for the publicity and everything. But actually, when I left Hollyoaks, I was 27. And it was kind of, yeah, it was hence, you know, uh, you know, starting my family. Um, and it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of like the end of, a, of an era and an era I remember fondly. And I stepped into a new and beautiful era that I just embraced and was really happy in. But it's like, it felt like I got to do everything that I would have wanted to do before going on and, you know, moving into sort of motherhood and and life and kind of responsibilities. It's kind of almost the last of my sort of almost carefree days kind of thing, you know. And it was beautiful. I'll always be grateful to it. It was wonderful for me. So, you know, it's 25 years now, a quarter of a century. Oh, I mean, my gosh. You know, it's quite something, isn't it? D- did you uh, do you expect Hollyoaks to last that long when you first started out on it uh, a quarter of a century ago? <laughs> oh, would I have expected it to last that long? Probably not. Not because of the show itself, just because 
Like you don't expect things to last that long. Um, but hey, how long has Coronation Street been going and, and EastEnders and, you know, but I think it's a, I think it's a, a real triumph that it's still going. I, I haven't seen it, as I said, for many, many years. I wouldn't know any of the characters in it, but good for them. Good for them that they're still going strong. I think that's rather wonderful. Now, of course, the you know, the, the, there is somebody still there uh, from, uh, you know, that, that first uh, uh, original cast list, isn't there? Is it Nick? Yeah, Nick, Nick Pickard, yeah. Is he? Oh, good for him. Oh, good for him. I do you know. I, I have a vague memory of Nick when we were ever so, and he was so, he was so teeny tiny young um, and always just lovely, always lovely and so funny. And I, I remember we were having a discussion as a little group of us and um, somebody was talking about leaving or something. And he was like, you're mad. He said, I, I never leave this show. Never leave this show. I can't remember with this long floppy brown hair. <laughs> and um, and he's still there. Wonderful. <laughs> now, you know, we're celebrating Hollyoaks 25 years. You know, Coronation Street this year is 60 years. Emmerdale nearly 50 years. EastEnders 35 years. What is it about soaps, do you think, that people love and that, you know, helps them keep going? I mean, you know, these aren't fair weather programmes, are they? They're... They're there through thick and thin and, uh, you know, have been sort of um, charting our lives in, in many ways. What is it about soap, do you think? Personally, like if I was to think about myself now, I don't watch any soaps. And I used to watch them all. I mean, all of them. Um, I think it's about relationships. I think you actually form relationships with these people just like when I played Maddie Parker and I'd go out and people felt they knew me and people wanted to share their experiences with me and sometimes if you've been doing a really dark storyline someone will approach you and share that they've gone through the same thing and thank you for depicting um, their feelings very accurately and I think you you have relationships with those people in those soaps. That's where some programs fall off the grid and go awry. You know, when you watch something and there's just nobody likable or intriguing in it and you lose interest. But we we build relationships with people and they grow old in these shows or older, they mature and you know them. You've been doing life with them effectively. They're very strange soap opera life, but you've been doing it. And that's what keeps us faithful because because we know them. They're our, they're our friends they're our grandmas and our mums and our, you know, and that's what keep. That's why we'll always come back. So, you know, reflecting on the times we're in at the moment, just briefly, oh, you know, how have you been yeah. coping and what do you think about the whole coronavirus um, situation? It's uh, uh, thrown the world upside down, hasn't it? Really? Yeah. I mean, it is. It it is. A, we're all in such different. I mean, we're all isolating together. Hopefully as in um, not together physically, but we're all doing it. Um, and it's a very different story for, for, for different people. Because some people are actually isolating all by themselves. And some people are isolating with families, which can also bring its own challenges, depending on what your family dynamic is like. And um, I think that this can be an incredibly difficult and lonely time for certain people. But I just think... The green shoots in this situation are the connection that one, that we can make, even though it's over the phone, even though it's over the garden fence, you know, um, 
that we can sort of build on those relationships that we do have, that family we do have, that we do drop people a line, that we do um, give so-and-so a ring and just see how they are. Or even if they just want to moan about how much their limbs ache or <laughs> how miserable it is being just, you know, to let someone have a moan and, and to do that for other people. I think for me, the key is to be grateful for everything you can think of just to start the day and your night with everything that you can think of that is positive in your life and and every person and every memory even if it is just laughing at that episode of whatever you know um and to build from there and just to make those connections and to reach out to people and if you need something to ask i mean a lot of us don't like to ask if we need something ask reach out i think that so many of us are so much lovelier than we would usually be all that that we would like to even think about, you know, and I just think it's it's about people and what you can do for others. Well, thank you, Yasmin. It's been an absolute delight uh, talking to you about your time as Maddie Parker as Hollyoaks celebrates an amazing 25 years. Thank you so much, Ashley. And we've more in store for Hollyoaks fans. On Monday the 2nd of November, we're re-releasing our interview with Lisa Williamson, another Hollyoaks original. Lisa played Don Cunningham. I do remember there was one casting, I think it was the second casting when I met Phil Redmond, and I remember reading a piece of script and I, I must have narrowed my eyes quite comically, like I was irritated by something. And I remember he sort of laughed. And then I remembered he then sort of went away. I think he started writing characteristics or things that we gave him in the audition. I then realised that the character I was going up for, she was started off sort of quite feisty and had quite a difficult background. Then, then she evolved into much more of a, a, a caring but taking control of situations still, but quite a caring character. Distinct Nostalgia is home to some fascinating conversations with the names behind some iconic films of the 20th century. And we've a special treasure trove of interviews and reunions around great British film. There's Brief Encounter. I was making my first film at the age of 19 and so was playing Beryl, the young girl serving the teas in the refreshment room. I'm the last surviving member of this, and I suppose I'm getting rather elderly. Plus, brassed off. We didn't know that brass band music was going to be that popular. It just became a real word of mouth, people's film. It stayed in the top ten in London for nearly three or four months, I think. And we eventually had to go up and ask them to stop showing it in Leeds because it was going to ruin the, uh, the video launch date. And Oliver. The phone went, and my mum shouted up saying, oh, you got the part of Oliver. And I remember being, I was eight at the time, thinking, great, I'm going to have, like, six months off school. And that's all I thought. I didn't think anything else of it. Distinct Nostalgia. Celebrating great British movies. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or browse our existing programmes at distinctnostalgia.com. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.